Well, maybe a introduction for the audience. This is episode one of the uh, Aho Convos, mm -hmm. where it's not just a conversation, but it's a convocation. Mm -hmm. And convocation is a word that means a calling. It's a, kind of a gathering based on a calling, like a spiritual calling mm -hmm. to support a particular idea. So maybe we'll get into what is aho or hao and what does mm -hmm. that mean? And as the first guest on this podcast, figured what better, well, really the question was already answered when it came out. There is no better first guest. So maybe that's a good place for the story to begin is what does the word mean? And who is yeah. this wonderful gentleman that is explaining to us the etymology? <laughs> um, well, I'll explain that. Mm -hmm. My name is Scotty Clifford. I am an enrolled member of the Oglala Sioux tribe. I'm also Cheyenne historically from this region, um, southwestern South Dakota. Um, so, you know, I'm both Cheyenne and Lakota. And I guess my background comes from learning about time and memorial in this region from my grandmother, Olivia Blackout Poirier, as well as having conversations with People like Calvin Jumpin' Bull, great grandpa Frank Fools Pro, um, many people, you know, Wordful Moose Senior. And, you know, we try not to name drop around here, but I feel like those people are very beautiful individuals, definitely spirits on a human journey. And I learned a lot from them, as well as my grandpa Hobart Fleer. And other people. I think the term aho is best summed up as like an like in an in an agreement or agreeing to what's being said. And if we're gonna start looking at how we can financially get our pull ourselves out of poverty, um we have to be in agreement. There has to be an agreement. Agreement on all things necessary. And I was interviewed by BBC a long time ago, a few years back, and I didn't really like how it really turned out. But I will say this, just because we live in an impoverished area doesn't make us poor. Um, but yet, Living in and around an impoverished area, people do tend to think poorly because their priorities are sometimes compromised with different things, if you will. And it's just that very thing like I was telling Andrew before we got on, you know, it's sometimes there's, you know, enough bandwidth to, to be on the internet sometimes. So those are poverty issues, right? And those are things that, like I said, because we live in an impoverished area, doesn't make us poor. But yet, 
sometimes we have to take a back seat to what's necessary, you know, what we can have, what we can, what we have not is always a constant reminder. And that makes people very bitter on any reservation. And if you don't know what a reservation is listening to this, an Indian reservation is, it's supposed to be a very sovereign place, but theoretically it was a land that was reserved for Native Americans just to be, whether it was assimilated or complacent or just in a state of limbo. And so the term aho means, you know, you're in agreement, in agreement to something. And the reservation life never was really agreed upon um, wholeheartedly. Yeah, but uh, back to the, you know, the idea of Aho, um, there never really was an agreement to, to be placed upon a reservation. And reservation life is real strange. It's, if I had to say it, it's anything, it's a lot like being in a third world country. But when do, um, when do we look at what makes us unique? and distinct as a tribe versus just the herd tribalism, tribal mentality where, you know, it's almost like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't without a huge council meeting. But once we have that council meeting, who's on council? Are they related to somebody that they're supporting or not? Well, even just like on on the record, like on my screen, I can see you're at 99% and Scotty's at 17 consistently. Like the bandwidth just is laggy and I think it's great content and I think people will be able to see just the discrepancy and, and the availability for internet right off the top. It's like... Yeah, so... Yeah, that's a good point there. For me, it's more about um, not just bridging the gaps, but um, creating, uh, you know, infrastructure, you know, intelligence, just all these things that we really need to keep those bridges intact or repair those bridges. And um, I explained this very thing to Andrew when he first came, well, before he came to Pine Ridge, actually. You know, there's been a history of so many promises and um, failures to to indigenous peoples that you know there's this idea of well should I trust this situation and I respect it if it's not really being authentic where the truth is coming mm -hmm. from are they being honest and how are they being honest are they doing that compassionately or are they just getting something out of it for themselves and then that's when you have to click all those four boxes and then, okay, trust and respect can be put in place then. So, you know, um, for me, I'm, I'm what people around here call a mixed blood, you know, Yeska, you know, French and Irish, British, but I'm also, you know, very Lakota in my raising and 
also Cheyenne, you know. And so for me, it might take someone like me, you know, to be able to relate to people on and off the reservation. And, you know, I'm like complected and, you know, I do, you know, I can pass for being a European sometimes, you know, and my wife, um, you know, she, we, we talk about it at times, you know, where I can do the, what people call in the term white passing. Um, but I don't take advantage of that. I usually call it out if people offer me that. Um, and sometimes if I'm late for a plane or something or late for a meeting, I don't really have time to correct that thing. But I for sure, you know, earmark it and I try to make sure that I can touch base with those people or not. But there's so many people on the planet, not just about 8 billion people. Um, and we just got to keep trying, even if it's just our sect. You know, our our friends, you know, your hockey player friend, you know, and several people that Andrew know, and I know a ton of people. You know, I did social justice work with Russell Means, Ted Means, I worked with John Trudell and different people over the years. And again, I, it feels like I'm name dropping, but those have helped me create my skill set. Because if we're going to bring ourselves out of poverty, you know, we've seen it time and time again when, when the impoverished just get a bunch of money, no matter what tribe or indigenous, na indigenous nation or what ethnic group just gets a bunch of money, it just kind of slowly all vanishes. And then same problem, no more money. So there has to be conversations as this started. Um, and our one hour that we have today, you know, we're just going to tip of the iceberg, so to speak. But this can be an ongoing podcast, and that's probably what needs to happen. And again, you know, I'm Scotty Clifford. I'm from Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. I live in the Badlands. There's, I live in a, a little place of populated by just about 30 people, a little over that. Um, but I'm doing my best all the time as, I guess, a, a musician. I'm a singer-songwriter. That's my main thing. I help out with some ceremonies around here in the summer. Um, I do my very best to just be, you know, people talk about being a good relative around here. But, but just being the best version of myself and knowing that I'm not perfect. But also not putting a ton of weight upon my plate. Either right, so I'm gonna pause there for a moment and let Andrew come into the conversation about Ahu. Well, a few hours before I pulled into Kelowna here, where I'm doing this from Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada, which Kelowna is a uh, indigenous word that means grizzly bear. So, uh, a lot of place names maintain there. Um, indigenous name like Kamloops or Squamish, um, just like names all across the United States, you know, like Mississippi and Chicago or Mississauga and Ontario and the list goes on. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we were talking about, I was meeting with a friend of mine who's a um, 
indigenous gentleman near the interior of BC. And, you know, I said, what do you think about this? His name's Tom. I said, Tom, what do you think about, um, you know, indigenous people from Ireland? And he's like, oh, well, everybody on the planet is indigenous. And I said, you would really get along with a few people I know. Because when you go back far enough, um, whether it's 5,000 years or 2,000 years or 1,000 years or 500 years, history changes, borders change. Some group of people decides they're going to violently aggress or uh, be violently aggressive would be the right way of saying that to another group of people and take their land and take their people and enslave some people. And it's happened on every continent long before there was this idea of colonialism or neocolonialism or whatever kind of term academically you want to apply to it for a certain period of history. When you go back to before there was a United Kingdom or a Britain, uh, that didn't really exist. Before there was a France, there was a place the Romans called Gaul. And before there was a Rome, what did Gaul exist as? And what were the people that settled in that land? And now how long have they not been, quote unquote, tribal or in their clan or in that tribe? And I'm pretty sure if you go to Scotland and Ireland, they still refer to clan system, right? I grew up uh, with a pretty Scottish maternal side and i actually have a cousin who got married full kilt and we were wearing uh scottish kilts in the pattern of the clan and so every family has a certain tartan so the color um change whether it's you know red and yellow or red and green or blue and green or what have you is a like an identifier kind of like a badge or something for the particular area that you come from and the particular last name that you have, which usually meant something like from the crag, son of Finlay, you know? So it'd be like that mountain over there and the son of the leader. <laughs> That's how they identified people. Kind of mm -hmm. sounds similar to other places around the world. So I don't take offense to it, you know? People will question, and rightfully so, you know, what uh, what's your position on this issue? And Sadly, there have been a lot of people, regardless of the color of their skin or their <clears throat> spiritual contemplations or um, ideological framework that they operate out of or work background, that use, not support, but use and take a, a, a kind of an imposition and an authority misrepresenting um, uh, certain ideas or let's say cultural um, things like a lot of people have been lashing out about Buffy St. Marie lately because of this pretendian thing and you know um, I'm not going to quite get into that right now but that uh, that type of thing happens and it's been happening for a while and I think that because there's a um, a using of that, you know, to get something out of it uh, by some people that it creates, of course, an emotional stigma because there's a misappropriation and there's not a a perceived good intent and, and sometimes rightfully so, often rightfully so, of that. You know, perfect case in point is the 
people going to music festivals and putting on headdresses that they bought on Amazon, you know, dressing up like a, uh, uh, a princess or a chief or something, thinking it's cute and cool. And it's, you know, incredibly disrespectful. So in society in general, people can throw the baby out with the bathwater sometimes and make knee-jerk assumptions and determinations about uh, a group of people uh, based on their appearance. Um, kind of like one bad apple spoiling the uh, the whole barrel. And unfortunately, that is just something that we have to deal with. And it takes a certain level of patience and desire to go a little bit further in understanding. Uh, but because there's just awesome, honestly, just a, a plethora of a, a barrage of bad news so frequently, it is understandable to see why people's knee jerk reaction to save time and energy is to just go, ah, another another one of those. And it's so common. It's 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 remarkably common, which is part of part of the issue that requires patience and understanding to work through that stuff. So I don't take any offense when someone says, who's Andrew and what's he doing with Aho? And it's like, well, if you don't want to take the time to find out, I guess I get it. If you do want to take the time to find out, I also get it. I'm kind of indifferent to it. I'm delighted to talk with you either way. But really, the idea behind it is that fundamental belief of mine that there is more that we have in common than there is that is different. And I would say that not just theoretically, but biologically. You know, our DNA, although we may look very different, is 99.99% the same, just tiny little changes. And if I peel off my skin, I don't want to give anybody the visual, but if we were to, you know, change the color of the skin or just take it off altogether and you just see the muscles underneath, you, most people, unless they're a trained physician, <laughs> would be able to detect uh, a difference and go, oh, that's uh, this race, quote unquote, and that's this race, quote unquote. So under the covers under the hood, under the skin, things are very similar. And it's more so the spirit or the intent, the mind and path that someone's on and really taking the time to get to know that and sense that out uh, is where you get to know people. And basing any kind of determination on somebody's gender or age or skin or you know profession even is a in my opinion ill-advised path to clear thinking and um bridging dialogue between people so that we can be solution oriented so enough with the philosophy in with why aho is because when i visited pine ridge I, uh, you know, having a background in EPC, I used to work in a bunch of what we call blue collar industries up here in Canada, born in a very blue collar family. Everybody's a tradesperson and builds and maintains some kind of infrastructure, whether it's sawmills, um, mines, oil and gas, 
steel working. You know, this is the family I was born into. So I did wildland firefighting, underground mining, uh, pipe fitting, construction and maintenance. So my mind was trained to think, okay, how do we, how do we make the stuff go? And when I, you know, looked at say third worlds and go, oh, there's a food shortage. Oh, like immediately we need to get these things in order to make the food work. And I had never really thought too much about the infrastructure that supports those things because in Canada, it's just so ubiquitous. It's so common. We, I just take it for granted. And then when I had visited and seen the underserved nature of things and how systemic that is, um, many cases by design, and then un understanding and really taking the time to study the history of it and get to know why that is, I was eager to understand what the, the root cause and kind of the, the fundamental thing in common that any, any potential issue may be able to be solved by. So financial infrastructure, uh, the ability to be transparent, and the ability to um, support grassroots initiatives to allow individuals with good ideas to um, get awareness for those ideas and on the merit of those ideas, get funding and not be beholding to any government or any kind of um, organization, but allow for people to just simply work with people, no matter where they are, anywhere around the world, uh, a good idea should be celebrated. And fundamentally, I'm for the flourishing of humanity and flourishing for um, people's abilities to take the things that are near, dear, and important to them that are of genuine benefit and get those to take off. And to have a handicap on that, uh, we should eliminate the handicap. So while, while in um, you know, Pine Ridge and learning about the, uh, um, I'm just going to make up a term here, the, uh, the, the house paint warriors that show up on, you know, the summertime with their van and their paint cans and go, let me paint the front of your house and feel great, you know, and report back to my people, boy, look at what I did and take the pictures. You know, I saw that. I'm like, wow, that's not it. Like, that's, that's not the thing to do. So I just wanted to really get to know people and hear from them what the challenges were. And I'm like, man, I just want to help. But like, who am I and what can I do? And I was praying about it, praying about it the whole time I was there. And I was there for about May, June, July. So a good three months. And I, as I learned more about the problem and prayed about it, um, I was invited to attend Iniha or uh, what people know as sweat lodges. And uh, I would pray inside, and eventually I got this idea, this vision, you could say, um, where the answer just like flashed into the mind, which was to create a transparent system, not only of accounting, but of, of treasury, and enable the tools of, you know, modern technology. Everybody's got a phone in their hand, right? Everybody's got one of these. <laughs> Even homeless people have one of these. <laughs> Everybody, you can have not have a house, but you got a phone. So you can have not have a car, not have a tank of gas, not have a cheese sandwich, but you got a phone. So if everybody's got a phone and everybody can get internet, 
then you've got a tool that can do stuff and connect with people anywhere around the world. So, okay, well, that's a big, what we would call, you know, equalizer or levels the playing field that makes certain things be available. And that's genuinely or fundamentally where the, the idea that, uh, you know, I increasingly started to share with people and they would get agreement and inside of, uh, you know, that, that prayer circle, when it came time to pray for something and people agree with it, they say, oh, and went through a couple different name concepts and the idea for this financial system to fundamentally support um, economic development. Uh, but more than that, it's the empowerment and support regardless of 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 who you are or where you are from but because of my experience and my desire to help in any way i can um you know we were focusing on well if we can just move the needle with indigenous communities and help bring in a a banking system that allows individuals on the on the grassroots to be able to um, move projects such as the food sovereignty initiative or a a energy microgrid or you know, getting houses built or, you know, getting a wellness center or a cold dishwashing business. I don't know, but to, to be able to raise money for it and be able to just pay each other, um, that, that would be pretty cool. So that being baseline infrastructure for any kind of other infrastructure, like those examples I just listed is really where it came from. And it's, I would say not a, uh, uh, a desire initially of, oh, we could make a lot of money doing this. Like, sure, money will be made. People will make money. That's the idea <laughs> because that's part of the problem. Um, but it was not made with that intent. It's not, you know, didn't show up to Pine Ridge looking for business opportunities. <laughs> um, came wanting to just obviously visit Scotty and meet other people and see the land and learn something. And I'm just naturally inclined to find solutions if problems are identified. And I won't get too into some of the stories. We might get there later, but I saw that, let's say, lack of transparency created issues on a governmental layer with the management of funds. And what may be in the best interest of the group is not always done um, in view of everybody with a, 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 a level of full view of the community. And so sometimes there are questions as to, well, how did that budget get spent? And there's no answer. And there should have been enough budget for that to get spent, but it didn't, it didn't happen. So if there's a system that everybody could have access to that could just automatically make it transparent that would be in the best interest of the community so okay well if you did that for just one group of 100 people even if it was something like a chicken farm that would make a difference in that community and in the world but now if you scale that by 10x 100x 1000x maybe you do it for more communities well that would be pretty impactful potentially and it would be done on a level where 
community members would take that initiative themselves to support it. And if you can connect people around the world, people from Asia to people in America, people in America to Europe, and you have this entire body of indigenous people, which is like 500-ish million people on the planet, able to connect with each other and create a system like that, then that would be that would be monumental. And so to even think about that is ambitious. To try to pull it off is maybe insane, maybe worthwhile. Uh, I've certainly seemed to think so. Um, it's, it's, it's worth making a good attempt to doing, and we seem to be getting some good traction. But then we're all kind of underserved. Uh, when you look at society in general, there's a lot if we work together as peers horizontally, not vertically, but as relatives beside each other, and instead of boxes, we you know form nice little circles, and there may be concentric rings to that circle of relationship, but that's that's a pattern that nature follows, and we can do that on a global level with these tools of of let's say technology, but Aho's tech is specifically, you know, bringing in the democratization of decentralized finance to allow things to support a hyper-local level and to connect into a global network to create things like profit sharing, access to capital, trust and transparency, and not relying on people to say, yeah, I promise I'm telling you the truth. No, the technology just takes care of that. So we don't even need to think about it. So it's like if money comes in and it's supposed to build a fire hall, fire hill is getting built. It's not going to accidentally go away in administrative fees or, or uh, you know, some kind of black box budget or something that everybody's guessing at, but no one's ever able to really arrive at a conclusion. So just helping accountability and what I've learned in this life what really has become a view what i felt as a kid but as you know a, a man growing through my years and going through my experiences is that whole 99.99% commonality and then tiny little differences we're all really related from the same tree of life and that's a really nice world view to participate in for myself this is my opinion if we act as if everyone is our um, relative, and even if we act like the animals are our relatives, then we'll, we'll be kinder people and we'll try to take care of others better. So that's really the spirit of um, what Ahotech is doing in creating this financial system is to support with that spirit, uh, an, an agreement that in this final frontier of finance, we have an opportunity to be regenerative and regenerate. It's a once in a generation opportunity. So these days, there's these words like regenerative agriculture. Well, what does that mean? It means old ways of, of agriculture using, you know, monoculture and industrial cultivation methods of petrochemical fertilizers and industrial machinery year after year, the same crop after same crop kills the soil, 
we get soil erosion, we get nutrients that aren't really in our food. Okay, we learned from those mistakes. Now this era of regenerative agriculture is coming and people are doing things to bring life back to the soil. So the same thing's happening with energy. And now with regenerative finance, it is to regenerate communities and regenerate people within those communities and have ecological, you know, economies that are not a top-down um, structure, but a grassroots ground up structure where tools given to people that are accessible to people formally in the historical sense at the top, it, it, it balances things out so we can regenerate with those tools of finance. You know, if, if those uh, communities and individuals were able to access them, that's one thing, but then learn how to utilize them in the same method, then it's like acquiring, uh, you know, a, a car and, um, you know, fire. Uh, if like you didn't have a car and you didn't have fire, like, wow, what a game changer that is. Now suddenly you can heat your home and cook your meat and travel really far and, you know, go do stuff. It's like, that's what we're really trying to do. Um, and, and the core focus of that is with that in place, it doesn't solve all of the problems, but now we have a good baseline that things like um, investment for internet, for example, or investment for a um, regenerative food sovereignty initiative, um, those businesses that may have difficulty in accessing capital to grow those businesses and support their local economy in the community, now they can do that. And they don't have to go to this difficult to navigate governmental process. They can do it as individuals with the freety to be, you know, as entrepreneurial as they wish. And I think that that is a a thing that no matter what country you go to makes sense to people once you once you explain it to them and it's it's a opportunity it's not the solution in and of itself but it creates an opportunity that may have otherwise not been available but people have to show up and participate and 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 you know have an idea and use the tool it's not just okay I'm holding my bag. Where's my money? <laughs> you know, it's if you give somebody a Swiss Army knife or a toolkit, they got to now go do something with it, right? Let me know if any of that's hitting, guys. Is that uh, tracking and kind of making sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess from since Mitch is on with us, um, do you have any comments or? questions of kind of just I know we didn't talk about a lot but you know from previous conversations do you have any concerns or I guess ideas or input before I bring it back to the relationship building idea yeah I think um, I think personally I felt like the game's been broken for a little while. 
I had my ear to the ground for some reasonable solutions, but when you start talking about this stuff, like, more openly and you get looked at with three heads enough times, you're like, maybe I am. Maybe my priorities are asked backwards. And and then I was like, no, I just watched everybody race to Costco and stock up on toilet paper when they didn't know where their next meal was like out any sort of security through COVID and people were stockpiling toilet paper. So yeah, priorities became asked backwards and mm-hmm. the age of North American Amazon to social media, single usage of, you know, whatever it may be, it trickled into our relationships um, and how we treat people and how we communicate. Um, it really has been from a low fear-based frequency the last number of years. I think that was heightened uh, with some isolation. And I've felt that. And my family's been broken apart. I've lost friends the last few years. And I'm just looking to align with more people that are solution-oriented and trying to help humanity evolve so we can start connecting from a heart, heart chakra before we even start want to talk about collective consciousness and and aho seems to me like the best new game where more people are going to win there's going to be more winners better participation and it seems to be what we need with a lack of integrity in society we just need to take the trust out of our finances and that this is what that does um we need to trust our finance system less and the people behind it and um, learn to connect as humans again and get into the heart. Well, thank you for that. I would like to add, um, so everything you just said is a, is a universal feeling and concern. And I went on tour with this band called Dispatch a few years ago. We played like amphitheaters and um, small arenas, and it was a really good tour. And, you know, Dispatch, they're all great guys, you know, um, European American guys. Um, And they really um, wanted to hear a lot of these concerns and about the reservation, you know. And shortly after that, I met Andrew, and I just said, well, why don't you come out? You know what? I could talk about it all I want, but um, just come to Pine Ridge, and we'll just create um, a relationship based on just, you know, how we bond or not, you know, and we'll move forward from there. And at the time, you know, um, there was a kind of a lot of, you know, again, this is a sensitive issue, but anytime you're working in government, particularly particularly in tribal government, mm-hmm. there's a lot of personal stock put into that. And when it doesn't work out because of the tribalism idea we talked about earlier um, before this call, um, people's feelings get hurt really fast. And, and they get cut pretty deep. So 
I wanted Andrew to come out and just see. Um, and people say it all the time from our community. Oh, another white savior, you know. And I think what Andrew was talking about was what I call white van season, you know. And um, it's this idea that the Christianic mindset, which is works in certain parts of America, right? But it wants to come and save, whether it's with the idea of Jesus, and I don't mean any disrespect to anybody's religion, or if they just want to come and be save Indians is from themselves sometimes. But they come and they paint houses with no real solutions. But I don't think hardly anybody has any solutions, whether it's on, you know, this side of the fence or that side. But, you know, they want to help, though, so their intentions are good. And when Andrew first came, I was like, well, you know, don't help yet. It's just relate. And it's the idea of building trust and respect, what we talked about at the beginning of this session. Um, honesty, compassion before that. Mm -hmm. The start of it all, truth and authenticity. And when you are being truthful, authentic, honest, compassionate, trust, you become trustworthy and respectful. You start to not only hold yourself accountable to your other community that you have derived from, but you want to hold yourself accountable to this new community that, that you've come into. And mutually, you know, this thing happens back and forth. So the other person wants to be responsible for their community but also hold the other person responsible for their community. So accountability, responsibility, it's very key to creating any kind of peace and justice after that, right? Is what we're all striving for. But there's no justice without peace. There's no peace without justice. And that comes from accountability and responsibility. But how do we do that, you know, simple by paying attention? And I wanted him to come to Pine Ridge to just pay attention. And so he could feel affected in his own way. And maybe he don't want to talk about this, but I'll leave it up to him. But when he got here, the plan that was put in place for him by, of course, Indigenous community members, which was the invitation. Because I also wanted him to feel like he was coming here as an invitation, not only from me, but somebody else could host him as well. Um, and once again, there's this communication breakdown. And for about 48 hours, you know, Andrew didn't have any, anywhere to go. So of course he stayed with my wife and I here at our place, which was our invitation anyway. But I wanted him to be able to also make those other connections as well. So ended up staying with us for a couple of days, which, you know, you know, we, we love Andrew, of course. He's like a brother. And, um, but it was kind of hard for, um, as a woman, my, my wife to wrap her brain around the idea just because she had just met Andrew and she wasn't the one creating this relationship with him for the two previous years. So when it comes to indigenous folk, um, usually we have to be very respectful of the, the woman, you know, it's usually the woman's home. 
So where we were going to have Andrew stay was kind of more of this community building, which was kind of open to the public at an invitation from the community. So once again, we was trying to create trust and respect by being accountable, responsible, and just being honest with the community. This is Andrew, you know, he's here passionately to just get to know us, create a, a relationship where any kind of help is rendered on either part. And so he, he found a niche with um, the Crazy Horse Ride. It was, it's a commemorative ride that is a memorial of Crazy Horse life. And Bam Brewer was kind of the one that took Andrew under his wing. You know, I'm very grateful for that. And that's all I wanted Andrew to do was yeah. just come here and experience Pine Ridge without also me holding his hand. And um, obviously he didn't want me to do that anyway because he wanted to be immersed into the, the populace. So what does this have to do with Aho? Everything. Because if we're going to talk about finances now and any kind of financial help, right away they're going to see maybe like your hockey player friend. You know, why is this um, European Canadian guy coming into our community and trying to do anything for anybody? Well, hold on. And that's where we need to publicly have an introduction at some point. And, and, and we will. We just couldn't at the time because it was COVID and everybody was really trying to live and survive. And I too, Mitch, I've lost probably at least 11 or 12 close, close family and relatives and friends. And I was just kind of mourning for like two to three years, just repetitively. And just now starting to feel the heft of, well, putting down that that weight, right? It was very hefty there. And um, just not able to get back to my art and recording. And I'm sitting in, in our home studio um, at the moment and literally just start putting stuff back together over this last two or three months, starting to really get back to my craft. And what's coming out is just my relationships with these people that have gone on to the great beyond, right? And that too, it's still pretty tough, you know? But when it comes to help, um, we want to be help, be able to help ourselves here on Pioneer or any reservation indigenous community that feels um, impoverished, um, that was forced poverty, I should say. Um, and that's part of that. Um, it's like a proclaiming. It's like a, it's like a proclamation or a re-proclamation. You want to re re-proclaim your life's entity, what your worth is in your while, while you can. You know, what is worthwhile? And you talk about the quality and the value of your life. And quality worth value, you know, time, space, and energy. Those are six of the very most important things that we find on the snowflake. And you know, the pattern of six is very prevalent in nature. 
So once again, it comes back to this idea, idea that we are all indigenous to this planet. Um, industrialization, capitalism has taken us out of that, not comfort zone, but a thriving area where you, to really survive, you had no choice but to, to just go for it. And that's what thriving really was, was going back to the scientific method is just doing the same thing over and over again. If there's results that are cultivating or rendering any kind of success. So Aho to me is a way where people can take care of themselves, reclaim some sense of worth, value, quality to their life. Even it's here, even if it is here on this reservation where there's it's you know the poverty rates through the roof and the unemployment rate is just the same. And it's like, well, how can we redesign not just reimagine but redesign ourselves to a point where I've always felt like everybody's a prisoner of war. Everybody's oppressed to some degree. You know, great grandpa Foolscrew talked about how you know, he said he kind of he pities the white American because they think they're white and they think they're an American. But in order to pick up that white male American privilege, they have to put down all of their indigenous roots so they could sit at the entitled table. But once they sit at the entitled table, they no longer have a connection to all that is. And that's when they get a little worried and a little stressed out and you know it's like they cling on to the what they have and greed gets through you know skyrockets insecurity skyrockets so you might have a lot of stuff as a rich white american male prevalently over the last 70 years or so but now you have everything to lose and no culture to go back to. You're basically living up everything for that idea of white American male privilege and entitlement. And this is the what negates the tribal idea. But how, tribes only work though if there's a sense of accountability and responsibility there by paying attention and showing that whole group as a whole affection. How are you going to affect your community and your tribe and your extended family? And affection just isn't hugs and kisses. It's You're going to affect everyone anyway, so you might as well try to do it in a way that's most accountable and responsible so you can create trust and respect between other people. So people will want to be honest with you and compassionate to you. And Maybe they'll share their truths and their authenticity with you as well. So there's this loop, but it also goes the other way too, to create peace and justice. It goes up and it comes back down, just like the lightning. So there's these different indigenous concepts that are in all of us. It's not just Lakota belief system or Cheyenne star knowledge. It's, it's, it's what we are, all of us. And we all get it. We all get it. There's so many successful people that, oh, I just thought I was just being me this whole time, exactly. But 
equi equitably playing field was leveled for you to become successful. And maybe that's, like I said, through war, just pushing out one group to the next and making that group thrive. So I don't know. You know, I don't know if there's ever going to be, I definitely don't believe in the utopian idea, but I do believe if we can teach our kids how to take care of themselves, have some kind of respect and trust of one another, we can literally live a lifestyle that is governed by goodness. And that's what's missing from a lot of the pie nowadays. And the world is just so crazy at the moment. Whether you want to blame it on, you know, any kind of sensationalism or nationalism or whatever, basically there's no roots. Everything's been uprooted. So I'll pause there. There is a idea that came into my mind um, when you were talking about the relationships and. We have a lot of relationships with our communities, with our friends, with our families, with our governments, you know, with our businesses or our work. And some of those are good and some of them are bad. Or I guess that's a maybe a subjective experience of what is bad. And I think with technology, with tools, things like this, the Internet and this cool laptop where we can communicate from three different locations at the same time you know, separated by thousands of miles. Uh, we could use this to do any number of things, but here we are having this conversation. So it's our intent and how we use the thing that's going to uh, make a change in our lives or in the lives of others, how we choose to, you know, use or leverage those tools. You know, you think about with the word leverage and leverage comes from, you know, a fulcrum. If you want to move a really big weight, like a heavy rock that weighs a thousand pounds, if you have a really long stick and you put a little wedge, a little triangle right here, you just need a little bit of pressure in order to lift the rock. So you can build a wall, um, that can protect you. You can build up a house. You can, you can, um, you can build whatever that may be. It's up to you, what you have in your mind. And so that very primitive tool of just a stick and a rock being able to work as leverage. Um, when we talk about aho and 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 financial tools to support and empower and work alongside. And where everyone's invited to that, it's, it's, it is a solution if utilized the right way, but people need to show up in order to do it. And that requires, you know, well, trust in the technology, trust in the people that you're working with. And as time has gone on and we've used, we've used certain systems and, and, and whether it's the regular banking system, you know, there's a, for a little bit of techno jargon for some of the audience members, CFI or TradFi, centralized finance or traditional finance. If you have a bank account at a credit union or a 
regular bank, you are using CFI or TradFi. Uh, if you if you get an online bank account, what's called Neo Bank or Digital Bank, um, you might get better service. You may get better access, and these ideas of uh, technologically supported decentralized finance starts to kick in. So if you look at our energy grid, our uh, um, way that we produce electricity and distribute it to houses and businesses, it's primarily on a centralized grid. And if you were in India or even in LA in the last few summers or Arizona, where it's been getting really hot and there's not enough electricity to run everybody's air conditioning and their lights and everything, there's a breakdown in that centralized grid. It's not strong enough to handle this increased amount of stress or pressure. So the leverage that was, let's say, technologically available in order to provide that service to people, it's it, it's needing to change. It's needing to evolve. It's no longer sufficient to meet everybody's needs. The same things happen with our banking system. And people think that DeFi is cryptocurrency, and it's not strictly cryptocurrency. Just like a decentralized energy distribution system is not necessarily just one type of energy like solar. Could be wind, could be tidal, could be hydrogen. There's renewable natural gas, there's a whole bunch of methods that can be used in order to produce power locally. So the same way that those central grids may really be able to support a city and people within that boundary area, if you look at a reservation, for example, um, internet may not be great. The electricity system may not be as good as people would like it to be. Uh, the water distribution or sanitation system may also be worthy of consideration for the benefit of the community to deal with some improvements there. The word food desert, um, food sovereignty uh, to address the lack of adequate nutritious food produced on a local level. So the decentralization of, for instance, food or energy or water means to just do it on a local level. And if you're doing all of these activities on various local levels, instead of it being produced in one spot and then being sent to you, it's done locally. So with a decentralized financial network, we're creating a, a model where communities can support and work with themselves, create the solutions to create the ways that, let's say, energy in not the electricity sense, strictly speaking, to like turn on electronics. But money is energy. What you're voting with your dollar, what you're buying from your local shop, what you're doing to support the local business, the small business, whether it's a musician, whether it's a tomato farmer, whether it's the bison guy, whether it's the person with the chicken and making the eggs, your, your ability to interact locally is ultimately going to benefit that circle. Uh, whether it's just a community doing a very small co-op of 20 people or something much larger with several thousand or even bigger than that. So the idea really is to connect not just on the hyper-local level, for instance, that co-op system within a 
communities such as Pine Ridge, which it would work really well. Everybody's got phones. Everybody could do this, a way of being able to trade. But to then create communities to other communities at the freedom and leisure of those communities and the people within it. So I'm pretty sure that there would be a lot of indigenous people in Canada and the United States that have Apple phones, maybe even Android phones. I mean, it's going to be one or the other. And that technology, I'm fairly certain Apple was invented by a guy named Steve Jobs. And I think he was European American. But he made some cool technology that's really helpful for your life. So all your TikTok videos and Instagram posts, pictures of family and friends and food. He made a great impact on a utility item that you use every day. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Tunkashila. Thank you, God. Thank you for that gift that makes your life better. So it reminds me of a story. I was speaking with an elder, and she told me that when her daughter died, the medicine man that was administering the the uh, um, end-of-life rites, after everybody else had gone, he came up and shared some words with her, and he said, you know the medicine wheel? You know how each color of the medicine wheel represents a race of people? You know, black, red, yellow, white people. Um, there's this one story of how uh, every person's responsible for an element, and every person or every race has a gift. And if those gifts can, and those responsibilities can come together and fit together like a puzzle, you know, it's like, putting together the right sequence in a formula. They can come together in harmony, in cooperation, in a, a, a good intent, in a good way. We will have peace. And the violence that's caused by misunderstandings, um, the chronic doubt and suspicion that people have, festers this inability to cooperate, to communicate calmly, to communicate, like that would all go away. Think about how productive we would be. We would have peace on earth. It would be good for the children. It would be good for the families. It would be good for our communities. We would sow good roots. And until people are able to do that, uh, we're going to continue to have, we're going to continue to have issues. And it's the responsibility of individuals that see that, and they may be few and far between, but over time, if they, you know, stick to it, others will um, inevitably also wake up to that and will stick to it. And it's inevitable. At some point, we will reach that conclusion. We will reach that point in time in our uh, future. There's things we can do to hasten the arrival of that, of course. and. And eventually all of the races will be cooperating and we will have peace on earth. It's a worldview that I find very helpful to keep in mind. Now, some people will disagree with me. Um, there's always room to be able to disagree. And there's always pieces of evidence where you can underline the 
um, a habituated lower nature expression of people and justify it. And sure, you know, you, you, you can see that, but I personally, despite having seen that on more than one occasion, try to, to continue in this way, keeping that in mind when she had shared that story with me, um, it, it comes to mind fairly often. And I just think that that's the way to live is to know that that's inevitable. And even though people may not be helpful, kind, or friendly, uh, doesn't give you an excuse if that's the thing that you want, uh, to stop being helpful, kind, and friendly. Um, there was a saying a very wise man said one time, um, if you get slapped in the face, you know, turn the other cheek so that they can slap the other side too. <laughs> like, let me know when you get that out of your system. Are you done? <laughs> Are you okay? All right. All right. Let's go talk now. Like, cause fundamentally like hurt people hurt others. And that, that's a saying, you know, hurt people, hurt people, healed people, heal people. And I think healing people want to heal people because maybe they've tasted it. They're not all the way there yet, but they're, they know that that's the good, worthy pursuit in life. Uh, and sometimes, you know, people that have been hurt from this trauma or that trauma, whether it's, you know, I mean, poverty is traumatic. Um, it can be, there's many different types of abuse mental, emotional, uh, physical, what have you. And there's no shortage of those instances of people doing not very awesome things to each other. Um, you know, um, it's understandable that people have certain reactions, so I get it, but I'm always reminded, uh, and this is again, in the spirit of a ho, it's something I agree with daily and it hasn't been an easy road, uh, to get to where we are with the traction that we have. It's been, it's been challenging at times. Uh, but here we are, we are getting traction and momentum is happening and people are starting to, you know, agree more and more and fortunately really resonate with this as a worldview and a, a thing to participate with and see the opportunity, not just financially, not just as a, as a business, but sure, like that's it. We, 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 we do that. We are a business. We're taking the path of entrepreneurialism in order to foster change and accelerate innovation and support others that are in a pathway doing the same thing so that hopefully we have a larger impact of philanthropers that are impacting things hyper locally in this global network. That's, that's the big audacious goal. I would say moving beyond techno jargon, but what kind of what things can look like. And I think that if you're able to heal people financially and take that pressure off then a lot of the the things that people do for control and for power and like you know the manipulation the deceit like all of the stuff that has happened in the corruption of capitalism and there's you know corruption in many different systems i'm, I'm just particularly saying capitalism because this is north america it is capitalistic society we're doing the best we can with the tools inside of the system as best um, are, are available to us in order to move it within this particular framework 
So, you know, there's this uh, gentleman who we'll see on this podcast, uh, a colleague and a, a brother and a, a co-collaborator uh, who, although it is not the, the first time I have heard the word, he uses it frequently and I like it. Uh, Dale, you know, refers to conscious capitalism. And I really like that, you know, conscious capitalism and regenerative finance to, to, to be conscious of how you are putting in capital. And there's not just capital like dineros and, you know, money, but there's human capital. There's mental capital. There is emotional capital. So you can be conscious as to how you allocate those resources and put it into the communal, um, you know, pot into the community. And ultimately those ideas or those initiatives, those projects, those uh, businesses or, um, you know, local causes can move forward and as the community grows it's all done within this agreement that like this is a good idea so you know if i want to go get eggs i got to pay money for them or i got to make a trade for them right um a technology solution that can help people get whatever it is that they need but can also like make the payment process easier but also help them get funding for their businesses so that local businesses can take off and where they're normally getting rejected now they're not and instead of that being an application at just a bank or just a government office let's say in the case of an indigenous um you know business project they can now utilize the app let's say a, a, a chicken coop and i'm going to collect the eggs and sell them to my community and i'm going to connect the meat and sell it to my community and my anticipated results are people are going to be fed and I'll make a little bit of money. And um, if you help support my business and help me buy the hundred chickens that I need in the chicken coop, I'll, I'll, I'll send you some chicken or I'll send you some, you know, some, some profits. Um, you know, people on the opposite side of the planet that have never even visited North America, never mind that reservation could see that on our network and go, Hey, that's really cool. I'm going to support the chicken coop project and put in a thousand dollars and I'm going to be a supporter. And, uh, now I'm directly contributing to not only something that actually is going to be profitable because here's this marketplace of people that really need eggs. And this is the one person doing the egg business. They've cornered the market. They're on top of the chicken egg game. Um, like that's not a bad way of allocating capital. There's a great reward, award, and participatory model for both people, um, not just the business owner, but their supporter through the crowdfunding, the end user who's getting eggs. Everybody's winning in this, and we're just providing the tools to allow this to happen, and you know, give give a a, a toolkit. So that if people want to do that, they can come in and learn how to do it and start using it. So, you know, back full circle now to 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 the hockey player that didn't like that I'm not a native. You don't have to be 
a native person to see a solution. And if somebody was able to see the solution and they didn't do it, then sorry. I am the one who saw it and said, okay, let's give it a shot. And then stuck with it. Maybe somebody did try it, but it didn't quite work out. I don't know what to say. But I'm very much an earthling, okay? And trying to be a good relative in this way. So, you know, uh-huh. yeah. Live long and prosper, all y'all. Why you guys are such good brothers and crossing barriers. And we're bending space and time right now, which is really cool. And I don't think, I think that's totally yeah. lost on folks. What the FaceTime is. Because yeah. it's so new, and we just we don't even realize that I'm with you, and like I'm with you right now, and I'm with you, Andrew, and we're all like, yeah. it, it is a total trip, and it's it's pretty far out that we never even said, hey, how cool is this that I don't have to jump on a plane to South Dakota or Kelowna? Yeah, we have the opportunity now, sure. so people that hear this, maybe they do have, maybe somebody. In our friends and family mm-hmm. hears this and they have a great idea that's in alignment. Um, so anybody out there right now listening, mm-hmm. I think I love you. Let's talk. Ahu, again. <laughs> so when I'm in agreement with people and they say something really good, um, you know, I typically say aho. And that's the whole idea around here is when you go to ceremony or a public gathering or anything like that you know people always say aho it's kind of like a kind of like amen if you will when it's in the spiritual context but you say it outside of that as well outside of the the religious or spiritual connotations but i think for me um i too you know thanks i didn't really get to know you yet mitch but um thanks for spending your evening with with me too and sharing that your time with us and um i think for me you know just uh you know humor is a big part of what we're trying to to uh, heal indian country what we call indian country you know indigenous nations with and humor in you know, is all about to be you know humility and humbled in order to have humor and can't get any of that without being connected to the land hummus meaning earth and i know those are all latin jargon type terms um but it's true i mean i i wouldn't know andrew if i hadn't been a musician i think my my relative introduced us and he's a musician as well and um you know just traveling around the globe really um, has taught me that, you know, movement really is sacred because when you're moving forward, you're expediting your, your learning process and you're, you're learning as much as you can, as fast as you can when you travel. And movement is deemed sacred to the Lakota people. So, Moving forward, you know, is the only real way that you can really grow. And that's the only true form of change is growth. So if we can move ideas forward, you know, of course, our physical being forward, 
but if we can connect like we just did you know through you know these devices you know through um, through technology that's that's another form of movement and now i just you know gained another person to my repertoire of, of great people that i can work with through through mitch you know and, and of course i completely trust you because of my relationship with andrew you know and you know to kind of speak you know just 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 to it's it, it's just about healing that healing process we talked about and um i i have so many stories about my musical life because i spent most of it on the road um it really is you know it's just it's just all about humanity like understanding we're way more alike than we're different and those vibrations of music really do connect all of us completely like we're connected because of vibrations and what better way you know through music and so i don't know you know, I, I can't assume what people think, but I do know that we just got to keep working through all of this moving forward. Whether someone trusts you or not, if you're European Canadian or European American or, or like me, I'm native European. I, I don't really like the term American. It's a melting pot idea. Um, but you know, there's a, there, there's just a lot, you know, that that we need to really focus on and and just understanding that you know when, when we we talk about anything you know um, it's it's just that connection that's that human connection is always the most important thing you know and uh, so yeah I, I was trying to think of uh you know like I'll I'll leave you guys with this one you know uh it's 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 kind of a joke but it really kind of took place you know um, and it turned it into a joke later you know and uh there was this um when the black robes the priests first showed up in the northern plains on the prairie or whatever you want to call it you know and natives had started to be around christianity and catholicism and stuff and uh, of course a lot of natives you know they did the the sign language thing where a lot of you know it was instead of american sign language it was almost this native sign language thing where everybody just understood no matter what tribe you were from so as the priest was leaving everybody at his first public gathering meeting you know he's like well you know father son holy christ or whatever you, however you want to say that People didn't see that before, so, you know, just right away, you know, they just also, in Lakota, you know, what's this guy saying, you know, what's this, like, take your peepees down and get the hell out of here, you know, like, I thought we were trying to visit and communicate, you know, so, so it's just this idea, you know, how one thing can mean a different thing in other places, but I think it's just that time we take, you know, so we're not telling people to take their teepees down and get the hell out of here. And we're really trying to bless them, you know, from one place to the next, you know. So, so we got to be, have a little bit of humility to understand not only humor, but just the humanness of differences, right? So I'll end on that one.
and I'll pause now and I want to thank you, Mitch, for uh, facilitating us. And thank you, Andrew. Love you guys. Thanks for being my brothers. And uh, I'll, I'll pause there. And if you guys want to say your uh -huh, see you later, Doksha thing, you know, go go for it now. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, that was great. I'm, I'm, uh, Andrew and I are focused so much on putting the puzzle together that a lot of times we forget to laugh sometimes. And so thank you, Mitch. Well, let's, let's, uh, we'll, we'll be mindful to uh, keep it humorous where we can. Uh, <laughs> that was awesome. I really appreciate talking to you, Scott. Yeah, great to meet you. Love you, my brother. Thanks for connecting us, Andrew. Love you too, man. Yeah. You're very welcome. Love you guys. Have a fantastic evening. We'll see you soon. I hope. I hope.